We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Today is Monday, February the 21st, 2022, and it's a great day to have a day here on the Spurs Up show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. And on today's show, it feels so damn good to be so damn good. What a weekend in Gamecocks country is first. We start, folks, with a crazy, unlikely, improbable series win at Founders Park as South Carolina finds a way to win anyway on Sunday and take the weekend series over the UNC Greensboro Spartans, two games to one. Guys, I'll break down the series in its entirety, we'll talk key takeaways, hand out the Oot Oot Award, which in turn is the series MVP. Also talk slap big of the weekend, who's hot, who's not, and look ahead to what's next for the Cox. Also, hey, South Carolina was pretty damn good on the hardwood this weekend as well. We talked Frank Martin's squad, their big 77-75 win over the Ole Miss Rebels, including my biggest takeaways, Shooter Shoot Award, what's next for Carolina Hoops. Also, how about Dawn Staley and the crew on Sunday afternoon, clinching the SEC crown as they take down the Tennessee Volunteers. Folks, got a packed show. Also, don't go anywhere because we've got a great conversation and a great throwback interview with former Gamecocks catcher Robert Berry. Guys, a conversation I know that you are sure to enjoy. Folks, we have got a packed show for you here on this Monday. And of course, as always, guys, it's brought to you by the Spurs Up Show Store. Guys, TSUS.store for all of your Gamecock needs. Check out the best Gamecocks merchandise on the internet. Our latest drops, including t-shirts, hoodies, pullovers, tank tops, koozies, stickers, you name it, we got it. That's TSUS.store, TSUS.store. Again, guys, be sure to check us out and stay tuned for all our latest drops. Again, that's TSUS.store, the best Gamecocks merchandise on the internet. Let's get it.
Game Cox. Game Cox. Let's freaking go. Have a weekend in the city of dreams. Happy Monday. Hope you're all doing well. I am Chris Phillips, your host of the Spurs Up. She was always, folks, appreciate you all tuning in. And please excuse me for my voice or lack thereof. But when you have as much to crow about and yell about and be excited about as we do here on this Monday, well, sometimes those things do tend to to happen but man what a Monday it is you know we've had some therapy Mondays we've had some less than thrilling Mondays if you will talking Gamecocks athletics but man this is a victory Monday this is a celebration Monday and I feel like folks that is putting it lightly again we have got a lot of victories to celebrate and a lot to discuss and a lot to get into with just what happened in the capital city over the weekend. Guys, again, before we do, a couple of quick housekeeping items, a couple of quick reminders. Uh, the Tin Roof Show, of course, South Carolina Basketball will play this Wednesday, a huge game, obviously, at the CLA tip-off at 6.30. And normally, our Wednesday live show at Tin Roof is 6 to 8. I've talked to Corey and the guys over there at Tin Roof. We are actually going to move the show back to the 5 o'clock start time for this week, and I will go live until 6.30 or right before it, which at that point, yours truly will hike it over to CLA and catch the game. So again, guys, we're still going to be at 10 Roof. Would love to have you guys come out there pregame, and then we'll go over to CLA and watch the boys do their thing. But 5 to 6.30 this week, we will be live. $3 drafts, $3 rumple shots, $3 fireball. Always a great time, great food, great people. You already know the drill. So again, 5 to 6.30 this Wednesday. Also, guys, very proud to announce our next watch party with our friends over at Carolina Alehouse. We are throwing a watch party this upcoming Sunday, this upcoming Sunday for the women's basketball game at two o'clock, the final women's basketball game of the season. They're on the road at Ole Miss. We will throw that at the Carolina Alehouse Harbison location in Columbia, South Carolina. So again, let's watch Dawn Staley and the Gamecocks do their thing. Of course, guys, baseball does play that day at 1.30 as well. Yours truly will have the game streaming. We'll have it on. But again, we are throwing that watch party this Sunday at the Carolina Alehouse location in Harbison in Columbia, South Carolina. And guys, we've also got a bunch of other exciting news, exciting updates. A lot of things happening behind the scenes in regards to the business and everything we're working on right now, merchandise also. So again, guys, be sure to stay tuned for all of that. Also, guys, very excited to announce, as you all know, when basketball wins a game, we run a 15% off promo code for 24 hours using a certain promo code, shoot or shoot. We are going to be doing that with baseball as well. And right now, guys, depending on when you're hearing the sound of my voice, if you go on to TSUS.store, Right now, because of the Gamecocks winning this series over the weekend, use that promo code YARDCOCKS. You are going to get 15% off your entire purchase. So, again, be sure to check out all of our baseball merch, all of our merchandise in general, at TSUS.store, promo code YARDCOCKS, until midnight tonight, we'll say, for 15% off your entire purchase purchase. So again, guys, a lot of exciting stuff. And that's where we are going to start, folks, is on the diamond because I'm recording this nearly an hour or so, just under an hour after the Gamecocks have taken the Sunday game and beaten the UNC Greensboro Spartans two games to one to win the opening series 
of the 2022 baseball season. And man, what a series win. One game does not define a series, obviously. And again, guys, I'm going to get into everything in regards to the Friday and Saturday games and the weekend as a whole. But speaking on what we just saw and what just happened at Founders Park, you know, I said this about basketball about a week and a half or so ago, and I'll say it certainly about this game that happened yesterday. There are many games that you look at a stat sheet and you look at numbers and you look at analytics, right? Baseball has become very analytical. And those are the things that can sort of tell you the story and explain victory or defeat. But guys, in a game like yesterday, on Sunday, where all of the odds are stacked against you and you put yourself in a terrible position, being down 7-1, to one, going to the ninth inning, basically no chance, no chance, no life. The stadium being dead, everyone giving up, most people departing because they felt there was no shot. When you defy the odds and you fight and you scratch, and you claw, and you take on the win-anyway mentality and the win-anyway approach, and you have the performances and the moments like you had from your veteran leader, Andrew Eister, like an up-and-coming star in true freshman Michael Braswell, from those guys that came out of the bullpen and did their thing, from a guy that many have forgotten about his contribution yesterday, but a guy like Connor Sino getting things going with a home run. guys. Numbers don't do justice. Numbers do not tell the full story. A, a game like that, how can you not be romantic about the game of baseball? You know, it, it had the vibes of Mississippi State last year, Clemson last year. Think of any other walk-off you can think of. But one of the most unbelievable, improbable, wild outcomes I've ever seen at Founders Park. You know, again, you stick around that long, you know it's baseball, you know anything can happen, but realistically, you think to yourself, you know, it's a six-run deficit, right? You haven't shown life at the plate all day. You haven't been able to, you know, I talked about on the Saturday game, after you lost that game 5-4, to four, which very similar, by the way. You were very close on Saturday to doing the same exact thing. Um, you know, having guys on, and, you know, you lost that game 5-4, to four, but you had the resurgence in the ninth inning, and you just couldn't get the big knock guys you went from late in the game on Friday up until Andrew Eister's grand slam without an extra base hit but you know what that's th this folks this shows you right here the game of baseball there's nothing like it it's the most beautiful greatest game in the world and there's a reason you don't hit the panic button and there's a reason you don't overreact and there's a reason that you you know you take it pitch by pitch, at bat by at bat, inning by inning, and game by game. Because in the game of baseball, things can change so quickly. In just a matter of a couple of pitches, you can go down six runs to a tie ball game, to extra innings, to walking it off. And all of a sudden, where we thought maybe, just maybe, we'd be sitting here talking about the Yardcocks, losing two of three and a really tough start of their season and, you know, fans being down and out, fire Kingston, this, that, whatever. Instead, the narrative is completely different. And, and I mean, I'll tell you this, man, this team coming out of this weekend, and again, I'm going to dive into it more in depth in just a second, but I'm really using this time to give credit where credit's due and celebrate. Because I tell you this, guys, 
You can say whatever you want about Kingston. And you know what? Some of you that have those opinions, you still think Kingston's trash. You still think South Carolina baseball needs to go a different direction. I've told you all before, guys, listen, I love Carolina baseball more than I like Mark Kingston. And Mark Kingston understands the expectation. He understands the realities of what needs to be done for him to be employed at the University of South Carolina. Guys, there is no gray area. There are real standards and expectations for what must be done. So there's no point in getting your panties in a wad and going crazy in the opening weekend. If you just let it play out, guys, it will play out one way or another. But I'll tell you this, no matter the criticisms you have, whether you like the guy or you don't, or whatever your thoughts and opinions are on South Carolina baseball, I'll tell you this. And I noticed it last year. I noticed it yesterday. And something I've never had to question. I can't remember the last time that I had to question it, but I've never had to question this, is the fight, the heart, the determination, and the absolute guts of those dudes in that clubhouse. I mean, you just do not win a game like that if you don't have those type of characteristics and that type of character. And you know what? Again, you can talk recruiting. You can talk about the guys on the roster. You know what? It's because of guys like Michael Braswell that you won that game. When you got a bunch of guys in your clubhouse that believe in one another and they believe in each other and what you're doing and they're a bunch of winners and they expect to win and they play with a swag and they play with confidence, you know what? That is the difference. That is the difference. Now, when you look at the series as a whole, we'll start at the mound. Uh, I thought Will Sanders did Will Sanders things. I thought James Hicks on Saturday. I didn't think he was all that bad. Ran into trouble in the fourth and fifth, but I didn't think he was terrible. And then Sunday, listen, I, I think you need Julian Bosnick back. It's no disrespect to Josiah Seitler. I got nothing against the kid. I don't think he's a weekend arm. Um, the fastball was, it's not overpowering. The changeup's really good when it's spotted. Really, really good pitch. But the breaking ball kind of non-existent. And again, you need Julian Bosnick back to really have a run at the type of season that I was expecting you to have. So again, we think Bosnick should be back by the Clemson series. Fingers crossed, but you definitely need him back. Now, on Friday, the bullpen, huge issue, right? The bullpen was a major, major issue for you, okay? Um, you struggled mightily, and really it was more so one guy. You know, I hate to call out Kate Austin, but it is what it is, man. Did not have his best outing. I, I thought the bullpen was much, much better after that. And again, guys, that was my biggest question uh, coming into the season. That's probably still going to be a question mark moving forward as you continue to find the pieces and the right guys to insert there. But, uh, you know, I thought on Saturday, um, Parker Coyne threw really well. Michael Esposito, CJ Wines, Aiden Hunter, um, you know, Becker did some okay things on Saturday. Also, Wesley Sweat, have a freaking weekend, sir. Shut it down on Friday. Sunday gave you, gave you a great three and a third shutout innings. Uh, I thought Noah Hall looked pretty good. Michael Esposito looked filthy on Saturday. John Gilreath had a bounce back inning on Sunday. And Michael Braswell, how about him striking out the side in his one inning as well? So again, guys. I think there are enough pieces. Certainly, you're lacking the big-time power arms that we see from some other schools, but I think you do have enough options in that bullpen to get it figured out, as I talked about in the preseason. Offensively, though, I think that was obviously the biggest problem both Saturday and Sunday. You've got to find more consistency from the lineup, and you cannot wait until the eighth and ninth inning to have that sense of urgency that focus, that locked-in mentality, if you will. Um, so I think that's something they'll certainly be working on. Again, whatever you're doing in the ninth inning, however you're locking in, you're becoming laser-focused, bottle that up and spread it throughout the game, man. I, I mean, play every inning like it's the ninth inning. Again, I, I thought the newcomers uh, looked really, really good. Belk, Madden, 
Braswell, of course. Um, you know, I thought that Hector looked good on Sunday. You know, you, you had guys that flashed that were newcomers that I thought played really, really good baseball for you. And again, I sh they showed why I was so high on them in the preseason, but you got to be more consistent lineup. You know, people talked about last year, oh, we hit too many home runs. We relied on the home run. And hey, I don't want a team that solely just relies on the homer. But I tell you what, guys, you see what the homer did for you yesterday. It sparks your ball club. It sparks your dugout. It gets people fired up. So again, finding barrels, man. I, I don't know what it was. Again, you tip your cap, by the way, guys, to UNCG. Uh, I think they're a postseason team. I think they're actually a pretty quality ball club. You know, they threw some guys that I thought were really solid. They got a couple dudes in their lineup that are really, really good ball players. Um, you know, so I, I just, but you got to find more consistency. You got to find more consistency in the lineup, um, top to bottom. Uh, again, you win a game on Sunday and you win the series and it sort of masks the things you did not do well. But certainly, guys, it's the opening weekend. You're figuring yourself out this ball club, but you do have to improve. I mean, there's no question. You got to improve. You got to get better. There's no secret there. Um, you know, and I think the pieces will come together slowly but surely, but definitely offensively, man. I, I just, you know, we talked a lot about approach, and again, Matt Hogan shined also, another newcomer, but uh, just was not consistent enough. You just were not consistent enough, and again, you tip your cap to UNCG in a way, but I mean, you got to be better, man. You got to be better. Situational hitting, I still didn't think was all that great. You had situations where you had bases loaded or two guys on, nobody out, and you're still not getting guys home. Again, you have got to be better in those situations. You got to be better. You got to find a way. But you know what? That's the biggest takeaway, man. That, that's the biggest takeaway. Again, guys, I love college baseball. I love the game of baseball, but college baseball is incredible. It, it, it's, it's the greatest game in the world, like I've said. You know, just you never know the unpredictability and what can happen and, and uh, you know, win anyway. I mean, that, that's the big takeaway from the weekend, guys. Win anyway. That, that is the big takeaway. It's just win anyway. Carolina baseball, win anyway, is still very alive in Columbia, South Carolina. And, uh, you know, you look across the country, and listen, I'm not saying we should, you know, any other schools, the measuring stick and what have you, but I tell you what, I think this is going to be a wild, wacky year of college baseball because you look across the country and the parity and the teams that lost. Guys, Florida, Florida lost two of three to Liberty. You know, it's happening all over the country. Arkansas lost their Friday game to Illinois State. It's happening all over the place. And for the Gamecocks, I tell you what, guys, we can complain, we can bitch, we can moan, whatever. We it's all fair play. But I tell you what, I'm really happy to be sitting here on this Monday and doing that complaining and that clamoring for more and improved results after a series win versus the other way around. Because I tell you what, we all know it would have been absolute chaos. It would have been hell. It would have been unbearable on social media had South kind of not found a way to come back and win that ball game. So again, guys, tip the cap to all those involved. Win freaking anyway win freaking anyway win anyway win anyway that's always the motto that's always the mantra it always has been with Gamecocks baseball and it always will be with Gamecocks baseball and in Columbia South kind of folks we play a full 27 outs and sometimes we play more if it takes more to get the W so again guys that there are issues. There are things you got to get figured out. Of course, I did not expect this team to be a well-oiled machine so early on with all the new faces. But again, I still do like this team. I think you look across the infield. I still like Belk at first. I thought in the leadoff, he was solid. You want to see more out of him. But I think you saw a very professional approach. Uh, I think Braylon Wimmer was Braylon Wimmer. Obviously, guys, Michael Braswell, what a story. What a freshman he is. What a phenom already in just his first three games. Kevin Madden, again, I think will come on and be better, and I think he'll be another big-time uh, veteran piece for you. Uh, and then, of course, Josiah Seitler, 
I mean, I think he's going to be a dude again. You're not going to have to depend on him in the four hole, nor do you want to do that. But I think he'll still be a solid piece swinging a stick. I think Thad Eckner could give him relief if needed. That Colin Burgess played well. Um, you know, Matt Hogan, I think, is really, really solid. And then Andrew Eister as well. But again, guys, in the field, in the lineup, you know, you look at the DH spot with, uh, with Lee Croy and Sino and others. You know, it, it's about early on in these first two weeks, especially before you get to Clemson. It's really about just finding your best nine. Let's find the best nine. You know, there's some guys, they're known commodities. We, we know what we're going to get out of them, but you got to find your best nine. You got to find your best nine hitters, your most consistent dudes, the guys you can roll out there day after day after day, and they're consistent. And you know what you're going to get out of them, bottom line. So, um, you know, either way, while you're doing that, you're a bit of a work in progress right now. And then, like I said, on the bump, Will Sanders is going to be Will Sanders. You got to get Julian Bosnick back. I think James Hicks is going to be a very viable piece for you in that Sunday role, but you got to get Julian Bosnick back. And then in the bullpen, you got to continue to find dudes to step up, man. I think Esposito showed he's going to be one of your top bullpen arms. I think Wesley Sweat earned more big innings. Um, you know, you, you look after that. I think the bullpen's kind of a mystery. Noah Hall, I think, showed he's going to be a big bullpen arm for you. I think Michael Braswell needs more in these guys. I, I really believe he could be a, a closer-type dude for you, just a big-time relief-type dude for you. You know, can John Gilreath pitch well? Can he continue to do so? What does Aiden Hunter give you? Which of these guys are weekend guys? Which of these guys are midweek guys? That's what you've got to find out as we continue to roll early on this season. But again, guys, win anyway. And the bottom line is this. And as I told you, after South Carolina lost that Saturday game, you win every series you play in, you take two or three, guess what? It's successful. It's successful. You had a successful weekend. That is the key, win every series you play in. And so you know what? It wasn't perfect. You would have loved to sweep, but you know what? You found a way to get the job done, and two and one is a lot better right now than one and two. Guys, let's move into our series MVP award. And obviously, as you know, for football and basketball, I've given these MVP awards a special nickname, you know, and I thought it was only right. It was only proper, you know, with the passing of a uh, of fish from Gamecocks baseball. And of course, uh, you know, Bill Golding as well. Uh, you know, I, I thought it was only right. You know, he was honors, of course, on Saturday, and we're probably going to be doing something very soon behind the scenes to honor him as well. And, and uh, you know, I, I thought it was only proper to make this one special as well. So, of course, we've made the merchandise before, and we've all heard the rallying cry at Founders Park. And I thought, you know what? What a way to sort of tip the cap, nod the cap, if you will, to those guys. But what better way to do it than our series MVP award for each and every single weekend? We're going to nickname it the Ooh Ooh Award, which will be effectively the series MVP for that weekend. So the winner of the first ever Ooh Ooh Award is none other than Andrew freaking Eister. Ice in his veins. Guys, seven for 15 on the weekend. Good enough for 467 of the dish. Hit two home runs, eight RBI, and of course, the big one, the game-tying grand slam on Sunday, guys. I mean, there's just certain guys that, you know, in any sport, right, but especially the game of baseball, they live for the moment. You know, they don't just want to be up there, but they live for it. That's why they come to South Carolina. That's why they play college baseball. That's why they play the game. They love the moment. They embrace the moment. They're able to slow down their heart rate and not get carried away and stay within themselves and just do their thing and just come up clutch when it matters most. And, guys, Andrew Eister is the definition of clutch. That grand slam, you've probably seen the video at this point. I was lucky enough to capture it on video. I mean, just stuff of legends, man. Just stuff of legends, and I talked a lot going into the season put some damn respect on Andrew Eister's name. You know what, guys? And I'm talking to D1 Baseball. I'm talking to Baseball America. I'm talking to Collegiate Baseball. I'm talking to 11.7. I'm talking to Ad SEC Baseball. I'm talking to everybody 
I'm talking to everybody. He may not have the flashiest game. It may not be the sexiest thing to watch. But I tell you what, Andrew Eister, if you're sitting here and you're going to tell me he's not one of the best outfielders in the SEC, he's not one of the best baseball players in the SEC, you're telling me he doesn't deserve to be in an all-conference team, you are absolutely insane. You are kidding yourself, and you don't know the game of baseball. Flat out bottom line. Again, congratulations, Andrew Eister, the award recipient again one more time for you seven for 15 hitting 467 two bombs eight ribbies and a game tying grand slam with the game on the line yesterday at founders park guys incredible congratulations mr eister on a well-deserved recognition guys let's go to the slap dick of the weekend our first slap dick of the weekend award and listen, I, I guess I sort of feel for them for a way because, or in a way, I should say, because there are certain limitations that I was made aware of of why it was not a possibility and why the quality was such dog shit. But I'm sorry, guys. The University of South Carolina, their baseball broadcast and all those involved. Sorry, guys. You guys are the slap dicks of the weekend because I, I, I was fortunate enough to be in all three games. I did not have to sit through that. But the single camera with no score bug, with horrific audio, guys, there are Division Twos out there that have better streams and better live feeds than what South kind of provided its fan base over the weekend. Hey, guess who didn't have that problem? Because the, the excuse was, well, basketball is using the cameras, and we got to have them over there, and we've only got so many control panels and control rooms and this and that. You know who didn't have that problem? Every other SEC school and Clemson. So your excuses fall on deaf ears. I'm sorry. There, there's just no excuse in the book that, that justifies what fans had to sit through and watch. And for a baseball program like University of South Carolina, the third most wins across college baseball since 2000, we got to get better, man. We got to get better. It's disgraceful. It's ridiculous. It's embarrassing. And to act like that an SEC school doesn't have the money to spend to improve it and to give its fan base a product it deserves – Shame on you, all those involved. Shame on you, all those involved with the baseball broadcast. And you're going to keep doing it. You're going to keep being slapdicks tomorrow, this weekend, up until, I guess, the Clemson weekend or whatever when basketball season's over. But it's a terrible excuse, man. It's a, it's a horrific, ridiculous, horrendous excuse. And uh, be better. Be better. Don't just do better, but be better. So, again, the slapdicks of the weekend, the University of South Carolina, baseball broadcast those who had to sit through that i truly do apologize let's move guys and who's hot and who's not who's hot you got to start guys with the youngster michael braswell what a weekend i mean a weekend out of a dream for a true freshman four for nine hitting 444 one home run four ribbies obviously the walk off in yesterday's game but also on the bump one inning and struck out the side guys this dude i talked about him all preseason He's a star in the making, the way he plays the game, the confidence, the swagger. It just, you love to watch it, man. It, it's a beautiful thing. You know, it, it's, it's to watch. We forget baseball is a kid's game. It's a kid's game, and Michael Braswell has the joy of a kid. You know what I mean? And that's, that's when you got supreme talent as well, and you play with a fierce competitiveness and a fierce love for the game, that, and that shows, and you saw it. You're going to have success, man. Now, again, I, I think he's obviously going to learn as he goes through, his, goes through his career to control his emotions and channel those. But I tell you what, man, I'd rather have to tell a guy, you know, back up, hold up, than, than, to, than to giddy up. You know what I mean? I'd, I'd rather have to, to calm a guy down than have to fire him up because you cannot teach that love for the game. You cannot teach what Michael Braswell has inside. Man, there's some dudes that 
that, that love what baseball can do for them. And then there's some dudes that simply love the game. They are dirtbags. They are baseball rats. They love it. Michael Braswell loves the game of baseball. He loves being a Gamecock. And, and again, what an opening weekend for him. You, you could not have asked. You couldn't have scripted it any better. Again, the walk-off yesterday and just what he did on the mound and the way he contributed all weekend long. What he did in the field, by the way, as well. Incredible stuff for Michael Braswell. Who's not? Got to put it on him. Josiah Seitler at the plate. Two for 13, hit 154. One RBI on the bump yesterday. 2.2 innings pitch. Six hits, five runs. Four earned for him. I think Josiah will get it figured out especially swinging a stick. And again, I think he'll be more of a midweek guy, but our who's not of the week is Josiah Seitler. Now, what's next for the Yardcocks? Tomorrow night at Founders Park, 4 o'clock first pitch against Winthrop, the first midweek game of the season. And then this weekend, the weekend series against George Washington, which guys effectively will serve as the last sort of you know, non-conference series that you look at and you're kind of like, oh, okay, just another non-con series. Because after this, you've got Clemson, you've got Texas, and you dive into SEC play. So you got to get it figured out quickly. So again, tomorrow against Winthrop, weekend series against George Washington, big week upcoming for the Yardcocks and a great opportunity to get better. So again, guys, that will do it on the diamond. Let's move to the hardwood. South Carolina men's basketball, Frank Martin squad finding a way to get the job done, 77 to 75 over the LSU Tigers. And guys, I, you know, I, I will say this, as I said in my post-game video, I, it's obviously clear Vegas has no clue on this team. I have no clue on this team. I've doubted this team time and time again. I've picked against them time and time again. You know, LSU opens as the, as the favorite. I thought the season was dead. And again, as I said after Ole Miss, I don't know what it means, again, in regards to the future of the season. Tattoo Watch is officially on for South Carolina's run to potentially the NCAA tournament. But I tell you, man, this team, the fight, toughness, resiliency, as we just talked in baseball. Well, I'll tell you what, this weekend took years off your life if you are a Gamecocks fan, no question. But just finding, finding a way, man, just finding a way to get the job done. You know, my biggest takeaway is this, guys. You look at that game, Jermaine Kuznard is a freaking dude. He's still a dude. He always has been a dude. And he reminded us all on Saturday just the fact he's a dude. Again, the shooter shoot award, it's got to go to Jermaine Kuznard. 33 points, 12 for 18 from the field, 5 for 10 from three, and 4 for 5 from the free throw line. A an incredible incredible performance and you're starting to see some pieces come together man with guys like stevie shooter shoot aj wilson playing better basketball wilds of josh gray the defense coming together and again you're down at halftime and this team it's i don't know what it is they've just found their groove. they found their groove in the sense they love being down at half and this team loves the comeback in the second half it's it's unreal i mean it's, it's just flat out unreal and again, you know, you could you could use the excuse before Saturday of, you know, well, this team hasn't beat anybody. They haven't beat anybody that's really all that good. And But you know what? LSU was a team that at one point was ranked. They had a winning record. And you took them down. And you took them down. And in an impressive fashion, you did. Just absolutely unreal, man. Like I said, guys, my brain is scrambled eggs because of the baseball game. And really the weekend. Really the weekend. You know, I, I feel like I've aged 50 years watching South Carolina Athletics this weekend. You outscore LSU by eight points in the second half. And you just find a way, man, making plays down the stretch. I mean, dude's stepping up and hitting crazy shots. And, and the defensive stands is really what stands out, man. The defensive stands, you look at the, the statistics, man. LSU shot 44% from the field, 
30% from three, 60% from the free throw line. You shot 51% from the field, 30% from three, and 77% from free throw land. But again, guys, this is the game that that, that Jermaine Kustar won. I mean, that's it. That's it, man. This is the Kustar game. 33 points in the ball game. Just stuff of legends. Stuff of legends. And, uh, you know, what's beautiful about the game of college basketball, guys, is this. What's beautiful about college basketball is this. In college basketball, you know, it doesn't matter about people like myself making predictions and projections. It doesn't matter about Vegas and spreads and all that. When you get hot, anything can happen. Anything can happen. And what's so great to see is it appears the Gamecocks are playing their best basketball, playing their best basketball at the right time. They're coming together. They're confident. They're excited. They feel like they can't lose. They feel like it's going to go their way late in the ball game. And I tell you what, you can ride that a long way. So we'll see if it continues. Of course, what's next for South Carolina? Wednesday, February the 23rd against Mississippi State. This Wednesday, 6.30 tip-off at the CLA. A huge game. And again, guys, of course, they're all big. People asking, what do you got to do to get the NCAA tournament? You got to keep winning. You got to keep winning, bottom line. And I'll tell you, this guy's in closing. The last thing on Frank Martin. Many of you asking me questions on Frank Martin. I am going to dive into the Frank Martin stuff much, 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 much deeper this week. And I think that my takes on Frank Martin will surprise some of you a little bit. They will. They will. So just stay tuned for that. But right now, I mean, I just want to celebrate. I mean, a, a huge win, an incredible win. Um, I, you know, you, you got to have them. They're all big from this point out. And, 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 and a guy like Jermaine Cousinard, you feel so great for him, the way that he stepped up. His mother in attendance, I mean, it's it just unbelievable, unbelievable. Stuff of legends and truly a storybook type of game for him and a storybook type of run right now for the Gamecocks as you now won three games in a row. And who knew? Who knew? You've gotten back to 500 in SEC play. We'll see if they can keep that up. Guys, uh, really quickly, women's basketball. Shout out to Dawn Staley, that crew, the Dawnesty lives on as South Carolina takes care of business, 67 to 53, taking out the Tennessee Volunteers to clinch at minimum a share of the SEC crown and to clinch the number one seed in the SEC tournament. Also, Aaliyah Boston, yet another double-double. Guys, I, I tell you, it's wild what Dawn has built. I mean, the Gamecocks, guys, I've said it all season. They are the cream of the crop. They are truly the standard, the class when it comes to women's college basketball. Congratulations to that crew. Um, just doing their thing, man. Again, we felt like before the season, this is the best team in women's college basketball. The national championship's on their mind. The national championship is their mission. And sure enough, it looks like that's where this group is headed. But again, a job well done. Clinching yet another SEC title, the number one seed in the SEC tournament. And uh, for anyone who doubted this group, man, I, I don't know what you were thinking. I don't know what you were thinking. Uh, feels good to be good with Dawn Staley, the Dawnesty, like I said. It, it's, it's unreal to watch what she's built and the way they just keep on trucking along, man, the way they keep on getting after it. So, again, Aaliyah Boston, the best player, national player of the year, hands down, by the way. If you think differently, you're absolutely insane. You're taking loony pills. Aaliyah Boston is the player of the year, and it's not even close. So, again, congratulations to Dawn Staley, that entire crew, what a win. What a job well done. And, again, the season will conclude uh, in just less than a week, and then we'll get into the tournament. But, uh, I mean, it, it's been a hell of a ride for Dawn Staley. And, again, on to postseason play, as we told you all, that's really where it begins because the national championship is what we are chasing in this season. Guys, what a Monday show. Incredible. What a Monday show. 
feels good to be good, man. I, I tell you what, uh, I'm on cloud nine right now to that baseball game. Of course, basketball doing their thing, getting a huge win again. Dawn Staley, it, it's just wild. And again, guys, I want to say this as well. So many of you came up over the weekend at Founders Park. So many of the Rowdy Roosters, Gamecock fans I got to meet. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for showing that love, that support, man. I was able to hand out tons of stickers, which I'm planning on doing that at all the games as well. But, uh, man, thank you all so much, man, for just showing love. And it, it means the absolute world. And, and um, I, I can't say enough. I mean, I'm overwhelmed right now. I'm overwhelmed right now. Got to hang with so many great Gamecocks on Sunday. People I've interacted with on social media and, and, and meeting you all in person. And, again, just the love you show, man, I, I'll, I'll never – I'll never not be grateful for that. I'll never take it for granted. It's just truly a blessing. I know that you guys rock with the brand, the business, the content, everything. It's, it's uh, my heart is full. My heart truly is full, man. That's what it's all about. It's about providing value and impacting people in a positive manner. And, and uh, I'm just, just so grateful that I have the opportunity to be able to do that really, truly. And again, guys, without your love and support, TSUS would not be what it is and what it's becoming. So again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, guys. I cannot say it enough. Hey, do not go anywhere. That's going to do it for me, but don't go anywhere. we got a great conversation, great throwback interview with former Gamecocks catcher Robert Barry. Guys, of course, the national champion. I had him on the show back in October 2019. Great combo as we relive his career in the Garnet and Black. Again, guys, thank you all so much for tuning in. Content continuing to bleed out the eyeballs this week. So again, guys, be sure to stay tuned. With that being said, that's going to do it all for me. Hope you guys have a fantastic rest of your Monday and enjoy this conversation with former Gamecocks catcher Robert Barry. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up Show is a man that played for Gamecocks baseball from 2010 to 2011. He's a two-time national champion with the Gamecocks. Over his career, hit 285 career average, four home runs, 49 RBIs. He was also the 2011 NCAA Columbia Regional MVP and made the all-tournament team where he finished with five hits, a double, a triple, and a grand slam, including five RBIs in three games for South Carolina. He currently works for the police department back in his hometown. I'm pleased to welcome the show, former Gamecocks catcher Robert Berry. Robert, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. Well, I'm glad to be here. I'm, I appreciate the opportunity to get on here and reach out to my Carolina family back in South Carolina. Absolutely. So uh, let's start from the beginning for you, Robert, because like we were talking off air, you're a guy that went the junior college route. Obviously, a lot of guys do that. Um, a highly re regarded prospect out of the state of Florida. Uh, talk about just, you know, you went to Pensacola Junior College. Why the JUCO route for you? Was it you know, what were the offers like for you out of high school? and What made you want to go the JUCO route? Um, well, I was a multi-sport athlete in high school, played football, soccer and baseball and um, I didn't, you know, like growing up this day and age, you see a lot of these kids, most of them don't even play, you know, actual little league and it's all AAU and travel ball and, mm. um, you know, playing on the week every weekend during the summer and going to showcases and, and things like that. Like, but when I was in high school, it, it was big, but it wasn't as, as uh, prevalent as now when it comes to recruiting. Um, so, like, during the summer, I was in, you know, in football mode. I was getting ready for the fall. We were in the gym under the stadium at, you know, 100-degree heat and humidity in Florida. So, you can only guess what that was like um, with about, you know, 80 bodies in one place. Um, so, I was just – I just didn't play a lot of travel ball. So, coming out of, you know, 
playing high school uh, baseball in the spring, you know, I, I, you would have some scouts there that were, you know, playing there to, you know, maybe watch a, a pitcher or something from the other team or so, you know, I had some scouts there, but I just didn't play enough travel ball to really have my name out there for the recruiting. Um, I was supposed to go to uh university of West Florida um, and, you know, things work out for a reason, didn't do very well on the SAT, didn't get into the school, but the coach from the West Florida uh, let Pensacola know, hey, we got this guy, we want to keep him close, um, maybe give him a couple years, then try to bring him back. Well, I ended up, you know, just doing a one-on-one showcase for the coach there, and they needed a second baseman. They had one scholarship for me, and he liked what he saw, My, I guess my my frame and he goes all right you're in um so left for Pensacola um didn't do well in the fall I gotta remember that just didn't really get a feel for the, the whole college life and didn't do well just didn't hit you know my my best and uh came to the spring actually started off at Indian River and South Florida, closer towards, I think, I think it's closer towards Hollywood, Florida and stuff. Um, had a really great start to my college career that first week. Um, hit my, hit a home run. It was like, I think I was like 10 or 12 for 14 or something like that. And was player of the week in Florida when it comes to RBIs and home runs and, um, stuff like that so that and then at that point I, I can remember at that point it was just on the whole year I think uh you know it was just one of those years you just have so much luck and everything going your way and um you know I felt like you probably could have thrown a BB at me at 80 <laughs> miles an hour I could have hit it yeah I was so, gonna say you set the single season school record with uh 16 homers 76 RBIs and you hit 426 so I'd I'd say you turned it around pretty well that first year. <laughs> yeah, you know, and being in that kind of uh, uh, a zone for majority of the year, really, I don't really remember just having an off, you know, any kind of slump that year. It was it's a lot of fun, you know, when you you know, when you finally focus on one uh, on one sport and you know really can you know get the hang of being just just a baseball player um it was just a lot of fun you know you know there was a times I was just thinking back or while I was there some of my teammates were just you know praising and 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 giving me you know you're a good baseball player tell me you're a good baseball player I was like you know what I I look back I'm thinking you know I knew I was I was a good athlete and I was a good baseball player in high school but you know that's just high school and then you get to college and you're playing juco and against you know a lot better talent and you're still excelling and it's like oh maybe I am a pretty good baseball player but um it was just you know it's a lot of fun you know you don't you having that kind of success in a year it's just it's fun to look back on and you know my goal, I always told myself, I wanted to do everything you can do in baseball. I wanted to be able to, I wanted to hit a grand slam in my career. I wanted to hit for the cycle in my career. I wanted to hit, you know, 
two or more home runs in my career. I just wanted to do it all just to have that feeling and be able to talk about it. And I ended up doing most of that that year. And then I think I hit a cycle in my senior year. I think I might've hit one in my freshman year in college too. So it's just stuff you just, you know, you want to do within your career. So no doubt. So so I was going to say, you know, obviously you tear up junior college. Um, When did the calls start coming from bigger schools? I mean, obviously South Carolina was in there, but um, you know, the numbers you put up, obviously I imagine uh, without a doubt, the, the the calls started coming from some of the Division One schools that I imagine all around the state of Florida, and then South Carolina took notice. I mean, talk about the the recruiting process once you're at the junior college level, and you know when did South Carolina come into play, and what eventually led you to to choose South Carolina and become a Gamecock? Yeah, well, going back into high school, I actually did a hitting camp, or Ray Tanner's hitting camp. I think my junior year, sophomore, junior year, came I came up for a, a win during christmas break that's when it was and we hit in the uh the old soccer football facility i can't remember the indoor facility right, right. there by the soccer mm-hmm. field we that's where it was and uh i think coach tanner pulled me and a couple other guys that i think adam matthews was there i remember watching him running uh, a 60 yard dash and was just blown away by his speed <laughs> um I think he pulled a few of us just because, I don't know, they selected us out of the group and wanted to, you know, do a little showcase down at the baseball field, uh, our Sarge Fry. That was my only time I got to be around Sarge Fry. Um, but out of high school, I wanted to go to South Carolina. I actually was very interested in it. And, uh, um, you know, I, I have a lot of family history in South Carolina when it comes to the missionaries and, my on my mom's side of things and I just I like South Carolina and but I didn't get any offers at that from that uh showcase and um went to I guess you know gone to Pensacola and did well that summer um I got a call to play for uh, the JUCO USA team which um Brock Holt was on Brock Holt plays with, mm-hmm. with Jackie Bradley with the Red Sox and we played a uh, few game series against the Chinese Taipei national team. And um, I think we had a rain delay the first game. And so we ended up finishing the first part of that game the next day. And I think I then throughout the day, I went five for seven with a three run bomb with a wooden bat at the old uh, um, Olympic USA Olympic stadium in Tennessee. So, and I think there was uh, Oklahoma, Coach Hemo from Oklahoma State was in the stands and maybe a couple others. Um, and as I was walking out, my mom was there at Tennessee with me. And as we were walking out to go back to the hotel, um, he came up to me and was like, I want you to sign right now. And that was pretty much the start of major schools um, starting the recruiting process. And then after that, I, I every week a new coach would call. So uh, it, you know, and it's a lot of fun. It's definitely it was it's definitely a neat experience that you can use in the business world or you know outside of or you know if you're a coach and it's neat to go through a uh, a recruiting process like that where you're just highly recommended and wanted and um and it's like it like anything else it's school but it's also 
a business too, you know. Mm. And uh, South Carolina called, and I think it started off with Coach um, Coach Monty Lee. He called me first from South Carolina, and then like a week later, I think Coach Calvi called me, and uh, Coach Holbrook was on his way. I think on his way in from North Carolina. So no, no, he was there. He was there. But Coach Calvi called me. He goes, uh, I know you talked to Coach Lee. And but he got the head coach's job at South Carolina, so now I'm calling, and probably Coach Holbrook will be calling you. I was like, okay. Um, so was talking to them. Um, coach Turtle Thomas, who was down at FIU, was highly recruiting me. Uh, FAU, uh, most of the East Coast schools, Florida, Florida, Florida State, um. You know, Oral Roberts and Carl to Charleston, obviously with Coach Lee, and you know, had uh had the opportunities. I took a couple visits, official visits. One to Oklahoma State was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed Oklahoma State. Um, came to South Carolina, and that's when they they you know they were in the process of building the stadium. Uh, during the time I was there, they didn't have any bleachers in it, but uh, the team was taking BP on the field. So I, you know, I got to get the gist of what it was going to be. Um, you know, I didn't, I, I've been to Florida, so I didn't, you know, really take an official there. I did a camp or showcase there and I was able to see the facilities and all that. And it just, you know, it, I like Florida. I grew up being a Gator fan and, you know, I would have liked to play there. I noticed they just, you know, they just didn't have the atmosphere that South Carolina had, and mm. you know, and hearing all the stories and stuff like that. Um, and and plus, out of high school, I just wanted to go to South Carolina, so I kept it under under uh, lock and key for a little bit, and you know, kept talking to Coach Holbrook and Coach Calvi, and Coach Tan would call every now and then, and you know, just kept them on their toes about things and. Uh, North Carolina right before I decided to call North Carolina called me and wanted me to do an official visit and I told uh and then coach Holbert called me and was like and I told him I was like hey I you know I want to go see North Carolina and that was they just got done with their three-year stint of going to the world series mm -hmm. so Obviously, I was like, oh, you know, I'd like to go. And they wanted me to come up. I think they wanted me to come up and catch. And I was like, yeah, sure, you know. So I told Coach Holberg, and he goes, oh, you know, if you sign with me this week, you know, we'll give you an extra, you know, thousand dollars in your scholarship. And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll <laughs> sign. <laughs> That'll do it. So, uh, you know, I played, I played a little hardball, and you know, got a little more, you know, extra money for school and. It worked out. I would say I think I, you know, any of the JUCO guys that came in with me uh, made the right choice when they when they picked the school. So me, Morales, and a couple others. So I think they, uh, you know, we look we look back and we kept saying when we see each other out and about in Columbia, we just like you know for a while we're like wow, our scrubby looking selves look uh, won two national titles, you know. Like Morales said at the best, he goes, you know, we won, we won one, and then we just did it again. It was no fluke. So. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, anytime you go two for two in the national title department, that's that's a pretty uh, 
that's a pretty solid career without a doubt. So I, I wanted yeah. to, you know, I wanted to ask Robert, you know, you, you get on campus, obviously fall of 2009. Um, like you said, South Carolina has broken in Carolina stadium at the time or founders park as it's known. Now there's a lot of buzz around the program and obviously South Carolina has, you know, even at that point had a really rich baseball tradition, but uh, you know, I, I know South Carolina, that 2009 season was coming off a really, really tough year in which they went to East Carolina, lost in the regionals. I've talked to some other guys that were on that team and just how tough and heartbreaking that loss was. And um, going into that 2010 season, I mean, when you got there, was the expectation, you know, set to, I mean, I know with the South Carolina program, it's always to get to Omaha, but I mean, could you sense that things that that was going to be a special season? I mean, was there anything that told you that that type of run that you guys had in 2010 uh, what was coming that season? Um, well, coming into South Carolina in the fall of 2009, I was coming off of uh, a wrist injury and surgery. I had to reconstruct my wrist from blocking the plate my sophomore year um, in Pensacola. Um, I played 34 straight games, caught all every game until my wrist exploded. So coming off of that injury, um, didn't play a lot of fall uh, scrimmages. I think I played maybe a couple weekends towards the the latter end of the of the fall season. Um, you know, I did the main focus obviously is to get my wrist and my arm and everything back into you know working order to to win a spot or and play in the spring. Um, I got the chance to start on opening day and it was you know super excited for all that and. Uh, you know, it was still getting the feel of playing, you know, playing in front of all these people that just scream and yell and have a good time. And, you know, it's it's surreal, really. It's it's so much fun. Um, I, I was playing left field. My first game was just, you know, you're, you feel like a big leaguer. It's, it's not – it's hard not to. You're playing in a big league stadium and you have thousands of people that are screaming and loving you just because you're a Carolina baseball player. Uh, so, you know, it, it, we didn't, we didn't start off super, you know, hot, I would say, uh, I think we won the first series and I think the next series was ECU and it was a grind or something. Then we ended up dropping two there, I think. And, uh, and then Clemson and, and we dropped that series. So it was like, ah, but. You know, we had a bunch of mature guys. We, had, we were mature athletes when it comes to what we were doing on the field. And I'm going to keep it at that, what we were doing on the field. <laughs> um, we, uh, you know, guys like Morales. And, and and at the same time, there was a lot of us, we were, we were being played in different positions. Uh, I think beginning of the year 2010, I played first base and never played first base in my life. And, and I think Coach Tanner was the mastermind trying to just fit the puzzle pieces into where they needed to be. And uh, and then once it, it was kind of set and people knew, you know, every day what they were going to do, because for a lot of, especially for like me, like being a, you know, multi-position athlete, I was, you know, I got a little frustrated just because I didn't know where I was, if I was going to play, I didn't know where I was going to play, but so mentally and, if it's going to be in the infield, I have to go through bunt stuff, you know, bunt plays and, and situations in my head. So 
um, I'm in the right place at the right time and, you know, don't harm my team or anything. Um, so once, but once we all kind of got settled in those positions and we all knew what we were going to, you know, what our role in the team was, you know, we got into a groove and, and just didn't look back. You know, I think we won every single midweek game, mm-hmm. which, you know, those are huge mm-hmm. when it comes to the RPI numbers and, and, you know, we grinded it out in the SSP conference and, you know, I wouldn't say we, we showcased our talent down in uh, Hoover, but we never do. So <laughs> we never did, <laughs> but uh, we, uh, you know, it's, it's all about just, you know, the players, we had such a unique team when it comes to the, the, the personality and everyone, but the one personality the team has is we weren't going to quit and we were going to grind even if we didn't score a run to the eighth or ninth inning. And we were going to hold you at bay because our defense, our deep, we had so much trust in our, in everybody in, on the field. You know, everyone was doing their job and, and playing hard on defense. And we knew if our pitchers, Cooper or Roth or whoever was on the mound, if they kept it, you know, kept it at bay at the plate, we were going to hold down behind them. And that's all it took. You know, we just wait until the other team took out their, their, their ace and let them put some, you know, middle inning guy and let him miss a couple spots and then we'll tattoo him. That's which what we did for two years, especially in 2011. No doubt. I, I was going to say, Robert, you know, I think it's interesting when you talk about the defense because you're, you know, your first year at Carolina, you made zero errors. Your second year, you only made two um, to finish with a 993 fielding percentage, which is really, really good. I mean, two errors in two years is is phenomenal. Um, and South Carolina, like you mentioned, was always good defensively. And I think that's kind of interesting for a team that, you know, I mean, let's face it, Ray Tanner's philosophy, you know, blooping a blast right back in this thing. I mean, he loved to hit home runs. <laughs> yeah. loved to recruit big power hitters like yourself. So to have that type of power, but a team that plays really, really good defensively too, I feel like is, you know, I don't want to say it's a rarity, but I think sometimes the defense sort of slips when a team feels like it can score 10, 10 runs every game. I mean, was that like a huge focus for Tanner as even as much, if not more so than the hitting was? You know, it's the old saying is, there's always defense wins championships and no matter what, you know, even with those old bats, you know, you, you could still have that three, three, two, two, one game. I think we had a few of those with Cooper when he was on the mound and Sam and uh, against, you know, some very good talented players that are all in the big leagues now. Um, So, yeah, I mean, with those bats, you know, one day you're hitting 15, you know, five bombs in a game and 15 uh, runs on the board. And the next day you could be three, two. And, you know, the same is true. Defense, you know, wins championships. Obviously in 2011, if we didn't have the defense we did, we wouldn't be, you know, considered ourselves back-to-back champs. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had some definitely certain situations there that, uh, you know, without defense, we'd be walking off the field with our heads down. Um, but you know, 2000, you know, 2000, going back 2010 with those bats, you know, we expected it was pretty easy to hit out of the the ballparks. 
Um, and then the transition happened in 2011, which I wish we can go back in time and, and, and use the bats that the kids use today and the baseballs that you use today, because I know my numbers and everyone's numbers on that team would be so much better just because we were in such a, that transitional uh, stage and trying to figure out, you know, how to win ball games with these lead pipes that they make us <laughs> hit with these days. Um, no yeah, and, and it was definitely a, a different kind of, of baseball in college. And I know mm -hmm. a lot of people were upset just because the home run numbers went down and you, you really had to, you know, you really had to get into to the ball with, with, cause we use the old, the old style, the old balls with, the aluminum bats and now these kids use these like semi major league minor league style baseballs mm. with the newer bats which you know balanced out the the issue they had with um you know the ones we used beforehand you know it was like hitting a using a pipe hitting a, a rag <laughs> it's like we went back in time a little bit with it but it you know it's you can't make excuses. It, you know, it's frustrating because you would really feel like you just got into one and and it would, like, barely skate over or go off the wall. You're like, what the heck, man? You, I mean, like, especially that fall, we were try testing out different bats. Like, who are we going to go with? You know, Easton was like, oh, no, and ours. And we were using some of their connect bats, and we'd hit it. I mean, you would crush a ball and wouldn't go nowhere. And we're like, what the hell? So they got Rawlings was sending their bat in, DeMarini. We were trying them all out, trying to figure out what we can do to be successful. And, yeah, you know, it was frustrating. It was super frustrating that fall. You're like, God, this is this season's going to suck. And, you know, this, <laughs> you know, we're – you you know you want to hit you know with aluminum bats heck yeah you want to hit mm -hmm. the ball you're strong you're 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 all you're in your prime uh you you're there to go to school work out and play baseball and you know you're as strong as you can be when it comes to that being at that age you have all the tools in the trades now that then then they give a turnaround and give us you know these lead pipes to hit with and it was interesting it was it was fun but it was interesting. And then the season comes along and, you know, and at that time people are still trying to figure it out. You know, the balls that you could, you know, hit off the end of the bat weren't going out and they weren't hit, they weren't doubles anymore. So you just had to, you had to play ball and, and, and keep on winning ball games no matter what. That's what good teams, you know, will do. Um, we had some injuries and I think I told a reporter that year, like, if we want to consider ourselves a good team, it doesn't matter who we put on the field. We got to win ball games. That's what good teams do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at one point we had a freshman on the outfield. We had a pitcher out in the outfield, you know, when Jackie and Evan were out. And it's just – and you had to win ball games. You know, Neff comes in for a month, hits five bombs more than most of us <laughs> did the whole year. And, you know – on his wedding night, I told his dad, I was like, the only reason why we won the second title is because Neff hit those five bombs, and most of them were within uh, within uh, tough situations and series with, with Arkansas, and it, and it kept us, you know, alive in our season to get the advantage of playing at home for a regional. 
Yeah, I was going to say, Robert, I think I remember, I don't know if it was 2011 or 12, but it was one of those years you're talking about the bats. I think it was, I think it was Texas that made it to Omaha, and I think they hit like seven home runs the entire year as a team. They had like a 1-2 ERA or something. It was crazy. So, I mean, I yeah, the, the, bat, the bat change was nuts. But, uh, you know, kind of going back, 2010 team that won the college world series and i know you said you jumped you know you you came in as a catcher but you bounced around obviously i mean tanner wanting to get the nine best bats in the lineup you played everywhere but talk about a guy i know kyle enders was a guy that's sort of an unsung hero and a guy that doesn't get talked about a bunch in that 2010 team but someone i'm sure that you probably had you know a decent relationship with him playing the catcher position that entire 2010 season um and i know you played catcher obviously most of the 2011 season started a bunch uh, basically every game, but what was your relationship like with him, and how did he help you sort of adjust to the speed of of SEC baseball, you know, especially at the catcher position? Well, the, uh, Kyle was his story is unique. You know, he was there the entire. I think he was there with Carolina his entire four or five years. I think he gray shirted, red shirted one year, and uh, you know, really his senior year. I you know, I give kudos to Coach Tanner to sticking behind Enders and, and giving him the opportunity because, you know, obviously Justin Dallas was there in 2009 and, you know, he was a big leaguer or uh, got drafted high up in sixth round as a catcher. So giving Enders the opportunity to, you know, play and, and show, you know, showcase his talent. <clears throat> he, uh, you know, he's a mature guy. He's like a Jay Brown, you know, Jay Brown was like, hope he's not listening but he's like the grandfather of the team you know he was he was the dad of the team uh and you know he was he's just a guy you can count on that's the thing you know accountability and and, and a team sport is huge um when nobody's looking and you're doing the right thing you're doing it for the team not just for yourself and Enders was one of those kind of guys like Jay Brown was and you know you can just count on him he wasn't gonna he wouldn't. He wasn't gonna hit 500, and he wasn't gonna hit 20 bombs. Now he he could. He had the power, but it wasn't expected out of him. But what was expected was him to block the plate, catch the ball, and throw people out of second and third. And you know, Enders, pretty sure had a pretty good at percentage when it mm-hmm. comes to um, throwdown. So, uh, you know, just that's just how he was. And and I think all the catchers, Brady. I don't know who else was there. I think it was. You know, Enders, Brady, Richard Royal, and sometimes me. <laughs> um, but you know, in that position, I always tell kids that that want to be catcher. You know, catcher being a catcher is a is a personality position. You know, you can have you know you got to have some grit to you, and you got to be tough. You can't be, you know, you kind of got to be the bulldog of the of the on the field because. You got to protect your teammates if someone won't decide to charge them out and stuff like that. And you, you know, you got to block the plate if someone's trying to get home plate. You know, you're going to get, there's going to be contact. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get bruised. But you just got to shake it off and keep playing because, you know, everybody on the field is watching you the entire game. <laughs> so anytime you do something stupid, everybody sees it. So even your own players. Um, uh, so it's just one of those things when I finally got the opportunity to, you know, get behind the plate, uh, you know, I, 
I felt at home. You know, I knew, uh, you know, I was going to play any position I could just to be on the field. Um, but my, you know, my favorite position was catcher. I just, I, I felt more at home because I think I'm pretty sure when I started full-time catching, I, I think my numbers went up a little bit. I was a little more relaxed and I was, I was in my, in my, you know, element kind of a thing. No doubt. I, I was going to ask, you know, as far as your numbers were really good your first year, Tim, you hit 276 that first year, 289 that second year. Um, was there a welcome to the SEC type of moment for you? Because like you said, I know you, you get in the big ballpark. I mean, you know, Founders Park, I mean, these huge crowds. And, and then you start facing these electric arms on Friday nights in the SEC. I mean, was there sort of a, a welcome to the SEC moment for you where you were like, this is a different animal? Or did you, would you say you adjusted pretty seamlessly and it wasn't too much of an adjustment? Um, I think – you know, I did I did pretty well in the adjustment. You know, you you take the outside distraction. I would say distractions and you know the fields and all the hype and all that. You know, as a as an athlete, you kind of just you hone that in and you and you trust your the skills and the and the time that you spent on the field for the years that you were, you've been playing this sport. You trust all that, and you just you play baseball. You know, in the end, it's still a baseball game and um, and I, you know, one thing about our team was we didn't care who you put on the mound. If it was Sonny Gray, or if it was I can't remember the guy from Auburn, um, lefty had a hook. Um, can't remember that, but you know, it was like a guy like Matt Barnes. You know, anyone that these guys were highly recruited, they were, you know, fixing them signed for millions of dollars. Um. In the, within the next year, and there was a lot of hype on that. I think our team, especially in 2011, but, you know, our team loved that stuff. All right, go ahead. Like Garrett Cole, I mean, they spent years now. They got uh, Trevor Bauer and all those guys. They're all in the big league, you know, making a ton of money, doing the same thing they were doing back then. <laughs> and, you know, we liked that stuff. We are like, go ahead, put your money, babies, on the, on the mound and see what happens because – Hey, 95 mile an hour flat fastball is as good as anything else. So, <laughs> you know, if, you, if you're seeing it, it's coming in like a beach ball at about 60 miles an hour. So, um, we loved it. We loved to prove to people that we might not be the tallest and prettiest looking team on the field and we might not have all those flashy home run numbers, but we'll hit it back right, or, you know, we'll hit it right back at your throat if we have to. So, but with the SEC, you know, I think maybe with Sonny Gray, you know, he's a guy who's kind of built like I was, 5'10", stocky, but threw the crap out of the ball. Um, I think I had one moment. Uh, I got the bunt sign, and Sonny kept throwing me a slider that I swear was breaking about, you know, 12 feet. And I couldn't – I just couldn't do it. He kept, I'd show a bunt, he'd throw a slider. Show a bunt, he'd throw a slider. And I think I ended up striking out. And I was like, oh, well, welcome to the SEC. I think that was probably my uh, SEC moment. So, but uh, overall, I think I was five for three off that guy. So, I'll take that to the grave. But, yeah, he definitely – he definitely gave me my SEC moment, I think. For sure. So, you know, you talked about – I thought it was interesting, Robert. You talked about kind of the atmosphere at Founders Park. And, you know, 
nothing – I don't think there's any atmosphere that tops South Carolina Clemson. I mean, the best rivalry in college baseball. And then you guys, obviously, you lost that series in 2010, but we're fortunate enough to play them again in Omaha, get the, get the two wins over them, and then you play them again in 2011. I believe you guys won that series. But just talk about your experience in the South Carolina Clemson rivalry. Again, it's regarded by most, I would say, as – you know, the best rivalry in college baseball. I mean, very, very heated, both teams with rich traditions, and it's always a very intense series. I mean, talk about your experience in that rivalry. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to explain. But, the, you know, you can see the passion in the fans, you know, the, the things that they – the money they spend and the things they do to, to – to be at these games and then you get on you get into a team or a school that's in your state you know, obviously you're gonna you know and I didn't like it was a little bit different for me because I didn't grow up you know going to South Carolina baseball games or football games in the Clemson and didn't really understand it but I think when we uh I'm trying to think where we played the first game I think it was at home maybe in 2010 mm-hmm. then we went to yeah, you know, and just seeing the stadium packed to the T, um, it's it's a different beast for sure. Um, it's a you know it's hard if you've been there you feel it, but if you have if you ever played there you know it's like it's a different beast. It's a lot of fun, and it is and it does get heated. You know, I think social media was starting to really pop around with Twitter and all that, and. You know, people started using it as a platform to, you know, stir the pot, which, you know, it's all part of it. I wasn't real big into all the social media except maybe Facebook. So I didn't really stay up to date with things and what people says and pictures says. And it's just, you know, you just go out there and they're just another team. Mm. Um, you know, a talented team at that. So I think 2010 – was rough, but overall, it doesn't matter what happens in the game season. Whoever's last, and we ended up winning that series throughout the year, five out of five out of three. So I'll take that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think second year was was I don't even remember what it was. Um, did we win the second series? I think so. Yeah, I think I want to say that was the. Uh... Either that year or twelve was the heated bat thing with uh with Jack. No, that was our year. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That the heated because I yeah. we had we had Christian on the show back in the spring and we we obviously talked about the heated bat thing because that was a huge issue. <laughs> I know I know Tanner and those guys. You know, you guys took serious exception to that, which you should have because it was an, an an absurd, absurd claim. Oh yeah, leg it, but um, you know. You got someone like Leggett, he's very intense, you know, the guy ran with the base, you know, he's an older guy, ran with the baseball team, did more pull-ups and push-ups than the entire baseball team, and he's just one of those, you know, probably outside the sport, he's probably a really interesting guy, I've never, never really spoke to him other than shaking his hand after the game, Um, so yeah, he had his, you know, he, he had his intense moments, and um, it was a cold series. I remember that, you know, earlier in the season, it, it was cold. And mm. we all – I think it says it on it, bat, on the bats itself. You know, optimum performance is at 70 degrees and above. <laughs> so, you know, we took science to, to the, you know, 
to the game. We're like, all right, well, well they got these these heaters, but we can do them use it dual purpose. So we put the heater close to the bat, you know, the bat uh, the bat box, not in the box or bat around the bat box, where some of us that were not playing would stand by the heater to stay warm, so we don't pull hamstrings or any kind of muscles. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, yeah, it was we were there to help us out because these bats were, like I said, they were lead pipes. And now then you add the cold, now the ball ain't going nowhere. <laughs> and uh, um, I guess. I don't know if it was Kaboom or Kiboom or however you've said his name. I think he picked up one of our bats and noticed it was warm and blah, 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 and wanted to cry to Coach Leggett. And so <laughs> that started the old alpha war there um, after the game. And, you know, it is what it is. You know, they're just mad they didn't think of it first. <laughs> so, I mean, and it wasn't deep because it wasn't in the rule book. So, um, Coach Tanner was for sure that you know it's Coach Tanner, you know, coached with class and 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 respect for the game, and you know, he wasn't going to do anything outside mm-hmm. outside the rules, and he made sure that it was checked for. So, you know, it's all about winning ball games too. For sure, you like you said, do, yeah. Mad, mad they didn't think of it first, so <laughs> we'll we'll stick That's right. for sure. Um, so let's jump, let's jump down that 2010 season into the college world series, Robert, you guys beat coastal Carolina in two games to get to Omaha. You lose that first game against Oklahoma, but then rattle off, um, what was I think five in a row you're in that game two against UCLA. You guys are up one Oh, I mean, a great, just classic baseball game. Um, you're on the bases. Actually, you scored the game tying run in that one. And then obviously, um, you know, Whit Merrifield with the hit hurt around South Carolina forever, you know, comes up and has that clutch hit to right field to score the game-winning run. Uh, just just talk about, you know, that run in the College World Series as a whole because, again, it's funny. You know, I've talked with a couple different guys that have said, you know, after you guys lost that first game to Oklahoma, it was like kind of like you never know. I mean, it's just – I don't know if anybody could have seen that run that came afterwards. You guys winning again, what was it, six straight games to win the College World Series. And then, you know, I know you, again – you know, being on base, scoring the game, tying run in that one, I'm sure had to be a really, really cool feeling, again, in a game that was just crazy. I mean, Matt Price was untouchable that day. Um, just just a crazy run in 2010. But just, just talk about that run and that game two against UCLA. You see that ball jump off of Whit Merrifield's bat. I mean, talk about the rush of emotions that went through you once you saw that happen. Yeah, well, when, when we got to Omaha, you know, it's a it's a blessing just being in the, in that home, in that baseball town and getting to play in the stadium that you've watched for years on television, you know, in the years prior. And it's a neat experience to be one of those kids. And, uh, um, but, you know, with that first game we dropped with Oklahoma, you know, the six hour rain delay and kind of make a joke of it, but it, it, it just it takes a toll on you and not making any excuses we could have won that ball game but it just didn't work out so you know we all kind of looked at each other in the in the um in the locker room was like all right well we're either going to do this or we're not so uh we came all this way and we've worked all this time we might as well give it our best shot kind of a thing um you know, baseball is a unique sport, and like any other sport, 
you got to show up and you got to play. And if you do, I mean, you know, you show up and you play defense and you do what you're supposed to do and, you know, cut down on mental mistakes, you're most likely going to win the ball game. And um, I can't remember who we played next. Who did we play after Oklahoma? Arizona State. You guys smashed them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that was a – that, that, that was And they were the number one, was, number one overall seed, and you guys smashed them. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. And I remember now – I actually, I've, it's been a while since I watched a little YouTube video of all that, and some of the stuff I forgot I, I was even part of. Um, but, yeah, you know – that year in 2010, Carolina was doing pretty well in all sports. Basketball beat Kentucky, number one. Football beat uh, Alabama, number one. It was a fun year. Um, and then we get to play Arizona State, who's ranked number one, known for their power and you know having a good ball team. Uh, it's just, you know, it was one of those, I think Morales talked about it, you know, he was upset about his A.B. at the Oklahoma game the night before and talked to himself and told other teammates that I ain't going to let y'all down again. Mm-hmm. And he didn't. You know, he went in there and hit a three-run home run or something. Um, and I think that just boosted, you know, it really it brought us out of the trench. You know, we were, we were tired from the night before with the rain delay and, and the – the 3-2 loss and, you know, seeing a couple balls fly out of the ballpark in Omaha and all the crowds going crazy and the, the the girls in the stand that have I love cocks on their stomachs and they have never been to South Carolina probably. It's pretty funny. So, you know, it's one of those atmospheres that we were always – we always felt like the home team. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, that's just both years we were there that I was there. You know, you can always tell when Carolina scored a ball game or or scored a, a run was the a stadium erupted. And I know we had a lot of South Carolina people there, but I know they weren't all South Carolina people. So <clears throat> we definitely felt like the hometown the hometown team there both years. Um, but yeah, beating. Arizona State was 11 to 4 or something like that. Really gave us some confidence that shit, we could do this. <laughs> we can win this thing. And, you know, we ended up grinding out and doing it. How, how amazed were you at what Michael Roth did against Clemson? Because I, obviously that was something that, uh, I mean, that's a story that lives on forever. And that was like the beginning of Michael Roth. And before that, he was like a lefty specialist reliever, if you will. And, you know, that, that game single-handedly turned him into a front-line ace in the 2011 year. I mean, how, how shocked were you at at the at what transpired that night? Um, I guess you could say we expected, you know, most of us, all of it, all of us expected at least four, five, six good innings out of Ross. We didn't expect the nine. And, you know, with those old bats, what he did, yeah, it was pretty unreal. With teams, you know, being in Omaha, you're you're facing the best of the best now. And he went out there and, you know, by always some people say, you know, how'd y'all win? Well, the stars lined up, I guess. But we played hard. And Roth is a guy that even when he wasn't playing, he kept everyone in the dugout loose and laughing and having a good time and 
that was one thing we were known for. It could be we could be down two runs in the eighth inning and we're still, you know, joking around, yelling and screaming at the other team and having a good time. And then we turn around, pop four runs on you, and we beat you four to two. You know, that's just how we were. And, you know, but when Roth was on the mound, he was a, he was a different animal no matter what. He was a different animal. And I remember catching him. You know, he can be as goofy as all get out, but when he's the starting pitcher and on the mound, he wanted to be – he wanted the game at his pace. You know, he would he would tell me right away, get the ball back to me fast. Okay. So, I'd catch it, throw back as fast as I could because he wanted the game at his pace. And when he wanted to control the atmosphere. And that's how he was, you know. He uh, he went out there against, against, you know, thank God it was Clemson. And <laughs> – he went out there, and Clemson had some talented hitters, and he went out there and just shut them down with them old bats. It just you couldn't ask for any other, you know, anything else. He did what he was supposed to do, and he and he showcased his uh, his talent up there, and the the accolades and the things he got the following year and that year and the following year was a well deserved. For sure. So, like I said, moving to that UCLA game, that final game, you know, Whit Merrifield gets the walk-off hit. You know, just kind of to come where you, you know, came from in high school, wanting to play for South Carolina, going the JUCO route. What was the rush of emotions like for you when you jump into the dog pile, realize you guys are national champions? Mm. Um, you know, the 2010 and the UCLA, I think, you know, I did some pinch hitting and some pinch running, you know, yeah, everybody wants to be out on the field, wants to be the star player. But you, at that point in the season, and you, you're in that atmosphere. You're going to do whatever it is for the team to win a ball game. And if that's minimal to nothing, or being a cheerleader in the in the dugout, then that's what you're there for to do. And you're there to soak up, soak it all in, no matter what. Um, you know. Coach Tanner gave me the shot to get up there and pinch hit a couple times in certain, you know, in late in the game and basically get on base, make something happen. And so, you know, I took pride in that. And luckily I was able to get a base hit and get on base. And I think Witt was behind me. Uh, and I got the steal sign a couple times. And I think I stole once, had the base stolen, but Witt ended up uh, – foul tipping so I had to go back and uh, I think I'm pretty sure I stole a couple pitches later so now I was in scoring position and um, I can't remember who came up I don't know if Witt walked or bunted and got me to third or something no it was Jackie Jackie came in I'm not sure what happened what Witt did after that but Jackie came in hit the tying run which I scored um, and then, you know, towards the end of the, uh, towards the end of the game, uh, we had the opportunity. Wingo was on base, you know, what was it? Two to two, I think. Mm -hmm. Two to two games. One, one. And yeah. one, one. That's right. One, one. Wingo was on base. We grinded it out and getting there. Uh, I think Jeff Jones had a big old, big AB at that time. Uh, got a uh, drew a walk and you know Wick got up there and 
you know, waited for that low outside pitch. You know, he had the he had the count in his favor, and he told him, you know, I know going back, he told himself if it's close, put the bat on the ball and hit it where it's pitched, and he did, and that was it. And yeah, it's a definitely a rush of emotions. You're out there where got shaved heads because we all shaved their heads. We got our hats and glasses upside down. And, uh, you know, I think we pulled our socks down towards our ankles and it was, we did anything and everything to have a good time and rally and, and win that ball game. And, um, yeah, it's definitely a flood of excitement. And I think we, we hugged Jackie or no, we hugged, uh, Wingo when he scored, but we had to go chase Witt down cause he was out by second base. <laughs> Wait, I think I had to like, uh, what do you call it? Hook his leg for him to go down because he didn't want to go down to be on the bottom of the pile. So I think I used the takedown technique and hooked his leg, made him go down, and then the pile was on. And uh, I've been at the bottom of those piles; they're heavy. They get heavy. You want about five seconds of that before you're screaming, "Get off! Get off! Get off!" Because they get heavy quick. No doubt. So, Robert, moving into that 2011 season, I know, I, you know, you talked about Adrian Morales a bunch. We talked to him and kind of the different mindset going into 2011 where it was, you know, 2010 was, you know, fun to do and it was a heck of a run. But 2011, it was really expected. And that team came in with sort of a different mentality, different attitude. You were a guy that sort of benefited or, you know, that 2011 season for you, like you mentioned, you got a lot more opportunity. Um, started a bunch, played in 65 games that year. Your at-bats more than doubled that season. Um, and your numbers reflected that, you know, you hit 289 on the year, three homers, 35 RBIs. But I want to I jump to later in that 2011 season because I mentioned at the beginning of the show, um, you were the NCAA Columbia Regional MVP and made the all-tournament team. You had five hits, a double, triple, grand slam, five ribbies in the grand slam. Um, coming in, I believe it was a 2-1 ball game um, for the Gamecocks. Just, just talk about that 2011 season and then going into that postseason. You know, again, like I mentioned, you had that grand slam against Stetson, you know, what, besides being, you mentioned being on the field more and just being more comfortable, I mean, was it something else that clicked for you and then going into the postseason, you know, was there any doubt in your mind that this team was going to make another run and probably win the College World Series again? Um, you know, I would say, you know, the cliche thing, yeah, we have no doubt in my mind we should be in the College World Series, um, but you still got to show up and play. Um you know, prior to that, we uh, we had a pretty good last month. Like I said, you know, Neff came in and really helped us out and saved our butts in a couple games with a, some uh, clutch home runs. Um, and I think Brady started – he had that foot fracture and just couldn't squat anymore. But, you know, Brady's a tough kid. And that's what we – you know, we had a team full of tough players. And he was saying, you know, I can run and I can hit, but I can't squat anymore. So knowing that I, you know, I was behind the plate and I was the guy, you know, I loved being that everyday guy. You know, I think I was catching a lot more on Saturdays just to give Brady some leg, his legs a rest, which was fine. You know, play in the outfield, go catch. You know, you don't see that a lot in uh, in college or anywhere. And being able, to, being trusted by coach to do that, I loved every bit of it. I loved to be able to just showcase all that. And um, 
you know, knowing that, hey, you're gonna, you're the everyday, you're the man, yeah, you know, it, put, it puts the responsibility where I wanted it to be. And, um, I, you know, I just, like I said, I felt at home when I finally got to, to that position. Mm. And my numbers, you know, I felt more comfortable. I wasn't worried about, you know, every AB. You know, you feel like, you know, every AB, if you're not playing every day, you got to go full for four just so you can play the next game. So you're not worried about that anymore. You just you're in you're you're in the element and you're in the zone and you're there to win ball games. And uh, you know, I guess I I just saw the I felt like I you know back my freshman year in college. You know, I just was seeing the ball very well, and he just getting you know I've read a couple um, psychiatric sports you know psychology of sports books and all that. And they call it the white zone. You're just in the white, you know, you're just in this white zone. And, and everything, no matter how hard it's thrown, it looks like a beach ball coming at you. And you can count the scenes while it's spinning. And uh, that's the way it, just what it was. And going with Stetson, Stetson's, you know, 45 minutes from my hometown, that was a pretty neat opportunity. And I got to play, with the, play against the kid that I grew up playing football and baseball with for years. And he was their first baseman. And he ended up hitting, I think, his only or one of his only home runs of the season uh, against us prior to the Grand Slam. Mm. And um, when he did that, and we were always, you know, we always competed against each other. Even when we played with each other, we always competed and joked and, you know, poked at each other all the time. So when he had home played, I said, I see you, Trey. I see you. I said, you wait. And he just laughed. Uh, and he got the opportunity, got bases loaded. I think there was two outs. And their pitcher, you know, had I had a 2-0 count. You know, Coach Tanner, and during those situations, we were always like, Barry! And he always point. I was like, I know, Coach, I know. <laughs> and uh, so I was, I was expecting a fastball. And, he left it up, kind of belt high. Uh, just put a good hit, put a good swing on it. And it was on the sweet spot of those lead bats, and uh, I knew it was gone right away. And I, I remember running down first base, and I got that, you know, that same like that excitement you would get uh, when in a walk-off game, or you know, that just real energy from my, you know, from the bottom of my feet. And I remember running down first and pointing at the dugout, like that one was for y'all. And I think Walker told me like later in the day or later after that game, he goes, bro, when you, I don't know what it was. I was mad at something, but when you hit that grand slam and pointed at the dugout, because I, I just wanted to like throw everything. I want to throw the food everywhere in excitement. He says, I was so jacked up for you. It wasn't even funny. So, you know, it's just a, it's the excitement and the love we had for each other um, and, you know, to see each other have the success that we did and the different opportunities throughout, throughout the games. Um, you know, it was, it was a little personal, too, with playing against a kid that I grew up with mm -hmm. and playing against a, a school that didn't even recruit me, and I lived 40 minutes away from him. <laughs> so, and I think the, a couple of reporters asked the coach, that they knew about me. They said, yeah, we knew about him. It's just, it's just one of those things. It's recruiting. 
down. No but, doubt. So, so, yeah, I mean, I was going to say, obviously, you tear it up in the regionals. You guys sweep through the Super Regionals against UConn, get back to Omaha. I mean, obviously, that was on the magical run. And what still stands is, you know, which I think is really cool that you were a part of it. You, South Carolina still holds the record for most consecutive NCAA tournament wins with 22 most consecutive wins in the College World Series with 12, which all numbers um, – are crazy set the record for consecutive home NCAA tournament wins with 29 that went all the way to 2013. I mean, all numbers I think will never be touched by anybody, which is again, they're crazy, but sticking that 2011 year, um, you know, you guys had some close wins, you know, Texas A&M, you're down four, nothing, come back, win five, four, you guys take care of Virginia. That first game, the second game, you go to 13 innings, win three, two. Um, and then the Florida game comes, which that game one of Florida, I don't think, will ever be forgotten. And that's one, obviously, I want to spend some time <laughs> talking to you, you with, Robert. I think one of the craziest – one of the craziest baseball games anyone's ever watched. I'm sure one of the craziest baseball games you've ever played in. But my, my question, really, this entire interview, my one question to you is, how in the world did you pick that baseball with a catcher's mitt? That, that is just, like, <laughs> crazy to me. Oh, uh, yes, Florida. Because growing up, being a Gator fan, wanting to play baseball and football for Florida, um, yeah, that was that one. That was a little more that touched home because I know I had a lot of family members and a lot of my dad friends that were just diehard Gator fans, but they, it, you know, deep down they were still rooting for me. Uh, you know, it was personal on my level, really. You know, I wanted to go to Florida, and they kind of. Says, yeah, we want you, but you know, we don't have. We're not going to give you a whole lot of money. And I was like, all right, well, I got other schools that will pay for my school. So, thanks, but no thanks. Um, so this this was my opportunity on the personal level to kind of shove it up Florida, if I want, you know, say it nicely, shove it up their butt, and say you should have picked me, but I'm okay with it. Um. You know that that game with we, the pitcher of I think I can't remember his name Johnson or something like that a redheaded guy. Mm-hmm. He, he had some good stuff, and it was like facing Roth up there, maybe with a little more velo, but his stuff moved, and you know he was and he was hitting the spots, and and it's just again it's a grind. You just got to get to the you got to hit the 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 missed pitches and and put the ball in play, and and stay in the game at the same time. And, you know, I think Peter Mooney um, threw a walk and, you know, Walker had that hand issue and, yeah. you know, he's a tough cat. Yeah, that's, that's, that, that guy, that guy had a pretty swing even with a broken hand. And, uh, you know, he put, a, he put that uh, bat on the ball and it snake guide through the, through the middle of the field, scored the run to tie it up. Um and you could tell emotionally on that uh, Florida's pitcher, uh, he was getting frustrated, you know, because throughout the year he had a lot of guys behind, you know, on offense for their team, you know, hitting home runs and, and coming in, in big where it didn't put a lot of pressure on his shoulders. And you could tell he was getting frustrated because, you know, read his lips, he was dropping F-bombs in the dugout and yelling in his glove. And so we knew we were getting to him. Um and uh, you know, just playing playing the ball game, playing, letting the stars line up, and letting letting the opportunities fly. 
you know, we had bases loaded, I think, four times throughout that World College World Series, a couple times with uh, Virginia, and then two times, I think, in just in that one game with Florida with no outs. And getting out of all four of those dams is, uh, you know, is pretty luck. <laughs> I would say we had skill when it comes to making the plays when the opportunity arises, but there, there's a lot of luck in all that. And, uh, um, you know, with Zanino hitting that ball, and luckily he hit it as hard as he did, and Jake coming in from left field, uh, you know, we practiced those. We call them do or dies during practice. You know, I was a part of that when I was in the outfield, so I understood. You know, you come in hard, you field it clean, and make a good throw. That's it. That's all you can do. It's you. It's do or dies. You either win or you don't. So make a good throw, we get a chance. And he ended up making a good enough throw, and was able to put a tag on Bucky Dent's son, Cody Dent, I think his name was, mm. and, uh, you know, and keep the game alive. That was a moment more so like that ground energy that I got hitting the grand slam, um, you know, tagging him out like that and spinning towards the floor of the dugout and the fans and holding the ball up that, I think I have a picture somewhere of that. And then that was that same energy and excitement. And I usually, I'm not a person, even when I, you know, if I scored a touchdown in high school, I didn't do a whole lot of celebration. I just gave the ball to the referee and ran off the field. You know, it's, that's what I was there to do. And, but a couple of times I felt it, you know, you get that energy from the bottom of your feet and you just want to express it. And um, that was one of those moments. And, um, you know, then we get the uh, was it? I think his base is loaded. Mm -hmm. you know, John Taylor's up on the John Taylor's up on the mound, thrown down from the submarine sidearm, um, hitting the spots. Uh, you know, working the count, working the hitters, and using some of their you know their aggression on, at the plate against them. And I think that's you know the biggest thing is with him. You know, with all the pitchers, you got to hit your spots in the games online, and he was hitting his spot and then the guy tried to pull a pitch he probably should have gone the other way which sent it you know semi up the middle and you know Wingo I've seen him make those kind of plays all year for two years straight and even in practice you know the plays he's made you know saying it was a surprise that he made it is a lie because <laughs> Wingo was a, one hell of a infielder uh, making that you know diving play Getting up, he I always was amazed by his quick snap throws he could do with turning two or just his quickness in his arm. And he just stood up and flicked it, really. Uh, it, yeah, it was short, and yeah, I threw my mask in front of the plate. Um, you know, but you just you just react, you play ball. You know, I picked you know, picked balls with uh, my catcher's mitt. Uh, just playing catch, you know, you just you just do it. You let your you let the all the time you spent uh, catching a baseball throughout your life, and you just allow muscle memory and the things that you know to do take place. And it, you know, luckily, uh, it it get it gave me a pretty decent hop. I wouldn't say it was the easiest pick, but it was a decent hop. It wasn't too long, and uh, you know. Luckily, that glove had a good, nice, good pocket in it from being worked in by all the pitchers, and it went our way. 
you know. And even at that moment, you know, I was kind of, if you look back on the videos, I kind of took a deep breath after that play and was like, okay. You know, I wasn't <laughs> that same, you know, jazzed up excitement that I got with Jake Williams' throw. But I was, it was more contained, I would say. I was trying not to, you know, I was trying to have that, you know, swag. Like, yeah, I knew I can do that. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure I remember John Taylor after that. Because I think you guys got the double play on the next pitch. And John Taylor yeah. absolutely losing his mind running off the field. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, what you mentioned, the, the, I, I feel like one of the crazy – I mean, just the pick itself was crazy. But, yeah, the mask, I mean, you watch the replay, and it's like if that ball is like an inch to the left, it's the ball hits the mask, they score the run, game's over. It's just, you know, yeah. like, like you're saying, it's not it's not luck in a sense, but it's like those small things that happen. It's like some things have just got to go your way, and it, it definitely did. So, yeah. um, game yeah. of, you know, the, the game of inches, just yeah. like anything else. Everything's a game of inches, and – it goes your way, you know, it's, it's just the way it is. Yeah. No, nothing you can say about it. Like I always say, this, the stars lined up. For sure. So, that that game two against Florida, though, you guys, a little bit less dramatic. Get the uh, the 5-2 win. Roth gets the win. Price gets the save. Um, that last out, you know, Jackie catches that baseball, throws it in center field. What, what was the feeling winning? Because, I mean, that was the last game of your collegiate career. What was the feeling for you personally? Again, you beat the Florida Gators. You stick it to them. You win your the second national title. Was it less sweet, more sweet, same feeling? Because I know Morales talked about it. You know, 2010 was – it was a different feeling for both years because 2010 was you did something you had never done before. And 2011 was more so, you know, you took care of business and did what you felt like you should have done. But I feel like for you probably, especially beating Florida and being your last collegiate game, it had to hold a pretty special place for you. <clears throat> Yeah, um, you know, I think when we were when we played the second game, Roth was up there pitching, you know, coming off like maybe, what, three and a half days of, of rest. Um, Price with the same, just got done throwing 95 pitches a few days before. Uh, you know, but that, like, you look back and you think about all the things that we all did. You know, I think I found out after the season I had a partial torn rotator cuff. Um, throughout the month, the last month of the season um, from throwing down a second on a rain delay game or some midweek game. And, you know, those are the things that, you know, teams at that time of the year, you're going to, you, you'll have, you know, Walker had his, had his wrist injury. I had that shoulder, my shoulder and people were tired. Your arms, your arms are worn out at that time. It's, it's one of those things when we were playing that second game, uh, we were up five to three. Mooney hit the only home run in the, for us in the, in that College World Series. You know, um, I looked at Brady and we were we we're kind of laughing like, "Bro, we're up five to two or something like that." He goes, "Man, that feels so weird because like the last three or four games, it's been they were dog fights." Mm-hmm. And uh, sorry, man, I don't know if you hear my dogs. I hear a siren. Um. But, yeah, you know, we looked – Brady and I looked at each other. We're like, man, it's kind of a relief. We're up five to five to two. And it wasn't that we were we knew we were going to win the game because you can't ever think that with a team like Florida. But we were kind of relieved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I told him, like, I'm glad it's five to two. I'm done with these two, two games. <laughs> he goes, I'm tired. My legs are shot. And he just laughed. And, uh, um. You know, and 
Jackie or Jackie can't you know Price goes out there and does what he does, and Jackie catches that ball and tosses it into the center field, and I think he turns and looks and kind of says, "Why did I just do that?" But uh, we running in, you know, being on the field this time, yeah, the excitement. I wouldn't say it was, it, you know, it's the same, but it's not. You know, it's like a, it was more like a business trip, like you would say, like we won it, we never did it. That excitement's awesome. No, and I can't say that for all of us because, you know, some of the guys on the 2011 team never won a national title. So, to them, they had that same excitement we had in 2010, I'm pretty sure. But 2011, it was exciting. Heck, yeah, you're done, you won, you did it. But it was just like I said, it was like we just proved to everyone that you know, like Morales said, it wasn't a fluke. You know, we were there and we were going to win this thing no matter what. And, you know, you get excited. I think I threw my mask and helmet down and I grabbed Price and we learned from the first dog pile um, at the Super Regional that don't lay on your back or your stomach because you'll get crushed. So we both, I grabbed him, we hugged each other on the ground and laid on our side so I could take the weight a little bit better and uh prevent injury so uh, you know it's just one of those things it's exciting you know the guys that never won the national title i know they were excited i'll get out and you know we just proved to the the baseball world that you know even with the new bats we were the team to beat for sure so robert looking back at your career now i feel like it's probably you know you're able to look back now and really have perspective on things. I mean, what would you say was your favorite memory in Garnet and Black? I mean, would it be that Florida series or uh, something else? I mean, what, what was your favorite memory, would you say? Uh, yeah, I mean, the Florida series is definitely up there. Um, hitting the Grand Slam, you know, obviously hitting the Grand Slam on television, big stadium in front of all the fans. And uh, getting that rush of energy running out first base, that's a pretty special moment. Um, and and uh, I'm trying to think of anything else, you know. You know, having you know having those close games and, and winning with a couple walk-offs throughout those two years. I think Brady had one, Wingo had one, and I think they were you know like walk-off home runs. You know, it's that's what you that's what you live for when you play that sport, and that's what you you grind in your younger years to get to that point. And you know, being a part of that kind of stuff, and you know, cheering on your teammates and seeing the success of your teammates. That's what makes those memories a whole lot more fun. For sure. So, Robert, I'm going to get you out of here, but I got one last question for you, sort of off the wall, sort of fun question, if you will. Um, when you look back, your your favorite or maybe your best, funniest, whatever, a Ray Tanner story that sticks out to you? Because I know a lot of people have a lot of different experiences with Coach Tanner and uh, obviously a legend in his own right. But what's your uh, what's your best Ray Tanner story? Uh, I'm sure you heard some of them. I think the ECU – series in 2010 when he came back and pretty much reamed us all in the dugout when we got back from Eastern Carolina. I'm sure you've heard it from some of the other guys. Uh, that was a pretty good one because Bobby Haney was a 
uh, class act, and he was a great uh, impersonator um, that made everyone laugh. And I think that was kind of, kind of our, you know, our inside joke as teammates and stuff like that. And I'm pretty sure he, Coach Tanner saw some of his impersonations of him uh, reaming us that day. But uh, that was a good one. Um, I think personally, when I first got to South Carolina, they had a, a kids' night, and uh, they had a bunch of kids watching, you know, a Disney movie on the Jumbotron. And Coach Tanner had this young boy who ended up being Luke, but had this young boy sitting on his lap. And I think I was like the next day or a couple of days later, we were at catching bullpens, and Coach Tanner was out there watching the pictures and all talking to us. And uh, I was like, hey, Coach Tanner, was that your grandson? And he looked at me and goes, that was my son. I was like, oh, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> and so between Coach Tanner and I, every now and then I would see him, he'd give me that look like he wanted to say something. And I'd just look at him and smile and be like, hey, Coach, how's your grandson? And he told me, he goes, hey, Barry, how's your, how's your butt? But he's, you know, he'd be like, how's your ass? I was like, oh, it's good. He goes, is it flat yet? Because you're going to sit that bench all year. <laughs> so, personally, that was uh, coach, uh, a joke between Coach Tanner and I. And, you know, he's a, one, one of those kind of guys, you know. He can give for gab and he can – and from that point on, we kind of had that relationship. We kind of just would have one-liners punch uh, – one-line punches at each other. And I think even to this day, I see him every now and then at a baseball game or a football game and say hello and, you know, we – have that relationship just to keep each other in check kind of thing. So I know Luke's all grown up now compared to what he was when I was there. That's awesome. Well, Robert, really do appreciate you taking the time, man. Obviously a lot of, a lot of good memories to relive from those 2010, 2011 teams. And obviously glad to hear you're doing well currently as well. I know you've, uh, you know, like I said, back in your hometown working in the police department, I know, uh, you know, you you uh you had a little celebrity appearance on live. I think what was it, live PD when you were in Richland County. So, I'm sure everybody saw yeah. you. On that. I, remember, I remember everybody seeing you on that as well. It was a big buzz on social media. You got the uh, got the appearance on live PD. So, I mean, things uh seem things are going well for you post baseball. So glad to hear it. But I always a pleasure, man. I'd love to get you back on talk during the season. Obviously, counting baseballs, we all love it. So, would love to get you back on talk some ball. And uh, it's always a pleasure, man. Really appreciate you taking the time. No problem. I appreciate you having me on.